Welcome to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. Arif Dean, J.J. Jerez here to break down the 5-3 victory over the Nashville Predators. Um, here we are Friday morning, so the morning after, uh, kind of assessing it. A lot to talk about in that game, right? There was a lot of ups and downs, and you know, you break it down into, into period by period, you can kind of tell the story the story of the game in three parts just by looking at the period. So let's get into that, Arif. It, it seemed like a really sloppy first out of the avalanche, and let's cut them some slack. They hadn't played in five days, and, um, you know, we're traveling across the world. So I give them a little bit of slack there for that first period. And, uh, yeah, just, just a sloppy start to the game, but uh, they got out of the first period 1-1. Yeah, they, they found a way to kind of pick it up later on in the first um, I feel like I gave them a lot more credit for how they turned that first period around than they wanted to give themselves because Nashville had nine of the first 12 shots. They had that first goal where they just a nice passing play. I know Curtis McDermott was a defenseman, but it, it was either you or one of the other guys in the press box said like he played it. He played it well. He played it about as good as you can. And Ellie Tolvin and finished up that passing play. And the Avs are trailing one nothing. The shots are nine to three for Nashville. And it's like eight or nine or like six or seven minutes into the game. So very sloppy start, but again, expected for a team that hadn't played in five days. But then they draw a penalty. Uh, Ryan McDonough cross-checks Sampo Ranta, and the top power play unit comes out. They score a goal, and from there, the Avalanche didn't turn back. The Avalanche had a 14-3 to shot advantage in the second half of the first. And then when we asked Miko Ranton in postgame about the first period, he didn't say anything about, like, you know, bad start. He said bad period, like sloppy first period in total, even though they had 21 shots, even though it was 1-1. Um, but yeah, it was a sloppy start. They found a way to, you know, climb out of it one-to-one, -one, which is nice because what you want from a top power play unit that's as good as the Avalanches is, and especially one that doesn't really have much of a second power play unit right now, is you need that top PP unit to bail you out when you're having a bad start to the game at five-on-five, five, and that's what they did. The Predators had that early goal. It was at five-on-five five where you want to win hockey games, but the PP made sure that it was 1-1 one, one heading out of the first. I mean, it's no surprise to see them play this way, right? We've talked about it so many times that, that they have a hard time putting together the full 60. And, and I hate saying that they have a hard time pu putting together the full 60 when they're coming out with wins. Um, but you could tell even Jared Bednar was frustrated after that game and, and just didn't have the same energy after a win that you typically see from him. And, uh, yeah, I guess I, I don't know if he's just – keeping the, the standard really high or he just genuinely was that unhappy with the way the third period kind of shook out and, and maybe even the first. But um, I think as long as they're coming out with victories, you, you have some room for these kind of struggles and, and these sloppy first periods. So I don't think it's anything to look into. We gave them the slack. We gave them the excuses. Um, and they're coming out with wins. So, uh, yeah, it was a rough first period, but still had it 1-1. And the power play changed everything for him, right? That momentum swing was huge because, yeah, they were getting outshot. They looked like they were getting outplayed. And then that power play happened and, and really turned the tide um, on that first period and set things up for the second. But, yeah, just a, just a I don't know, I, I, again, nothing to look into from my opinion. Yeah, no, and I, I think Jared just has a high standard. It doesn't mean he's going to go chew, you know, his team out for – having a just okay game and that's kind of the way he kept explaining it it was just okay just okay just okay but it it doesn't necessarily mean he's gonna get pissed at him and like let it be known but at the same time there is a high standard for this team there's a standard where let's face it i mean i know mcdermott and mcdonald were both in and byram and uh and uh gerard were both out but 
the Avalanche still are giving up a lot of shots. Like Alexander Georgiev is facing, I want to say, close to 35 shots per game on average. And I'll look that up while we're talking here. But, you know, they are giving up a lot of shots. Not many golden opportunities. I mean, he's standing on his head when he needs to. But there is a high standard for this team to play better. And, and Jared's just letting that be known. Yeah, that's a curious point there, the shots um, that they've been facing so far in this season. I mean, we look back at a couple years ago when Grubauer was in net, and, you know, they would get <laughs> a handful face, of shots ba- in the entire barely game. Barely face 15 to 20, yeah, and, and I just did the math. He's facing 34.89 shots per game, so pretty much 35. So, uh, yeah, I wonder what that really attributes to because i mean your defensive core is very similar you're still playing the same structures why why all of a sudden is it harder for you to suppress the shots but um obviously something that they got to keep working out and and just the kinks that you have to iron throughout the season yeah and it could just be a case of you know sloppy october hockey which happens every year around the nhl in general um but at the same time for the avalanche that's you know for the for the head coach that's watching his team and his team only not 32 teams it's it's not an excuse so that's why jared kind of sounded the way he did but hey that's this is the beauty of this team they don't need to be their best to win games and i know the score was five to three but it wasn't a close five to three game the avalanche had a five to one lead uh they scored uh that five to two goal they eventually made it five to three and it just kind of they parked the bus like the avalanche didn't give up many opportunities the predators couldn't really climb in at no point didn't feel like the preds had a chance to get back into it Right, just a big spurt of goals like we're used to seeing out of these guys. Yeah, um, yeah, four in the second period. Let's let's stick with the first period. I think a, a very notable occurrence that happened in the first period was the Shane Bowers injury, right? Very little ice time we saw in his first game. A lot of anticipation around um, him, and we all were very hyped to see what he could bring to the NHL. And unfortunately, it just, it reminded me of the Vladislav Kamenev situation, right? Yeah. Gets a, his very first look and gets taken right off the ice, injured, and now who knows what the Avalanche are going to have to juggle cap-wise with him uh, getting hurt at the NHL level. Yeah, so uh, Darren Helm was placed on LTIR to make room for Shane Bowers, and uh, that's how the Avalanche went over the cap. Um but similar to last year, last year, if you remember, opening night, uh, Gabe Landeskog gets suspended. So to replace him in the second game of the season, the Avalanche called up Stefan Matteau from the AHL. Stefan Matteau got hurt. He remained on the cap the entire year. It was a season-ending injury, and it kind of screwed the Avalanche out of accruing a little bit of cap space. Well, quite a bit of cap space, but hey, in the end, they made it work. They got Lekkinen, they got Manson, they got Nico Sturm, they got Cogliano. Oh, and by the way, they won the cup, so it's fine. But this is a similar situation to that. Sample Ranta gets the call up. He gets a game, and now he's hurt. Unless it's a season or – yeah, because no, no, you don't want to use LTIR, so scratch that. But now Shane Bowers is going to be on the Avalanche's cap the entire season if it's a season-ending injury. You know, If it's something where he's out a month or two, well, now the Avalanche are going to have to account for him over this next month or two, which means they're going to have to go back into LTIR to have a full roster at times. And it's just – it's not ideal. And it's something that I know Chris McFarland was watching yesterday like anyone but this guy because now you cannot send him down. And that's the unfortunate part about when this many injuries pile up this early in the season, especially, by the way, like Gabe Landeskog and Valeria Nichushkin, them getting hurt at any time sucks. But getting hurt this early in the season means there's $13.125 million being counted against your cap space that you cannot put on LTIR because they're going to be back before before the regular season ends. So it's not like a Kucherov case where you can shelf him until the playoffs. But they're eating up this large portion of your cap that you cannot replace. 
Yeah, I mean, it's just a bummer. You look at Alex Newhook last year, right? He started in the AHL, came up to the NHL, and stayed. I think, you know, for a guy like Shane Bowers, the skill level he has, the way he knows how to play the game, you're hoping that that's, that was going to be the case for him, at least, you know, maybe a couple more AHL visits, and then he becomes a mainstay. But now this really sets you back. And, you know, the the hope and the trajectory for Shane Bowers' future, even this year, um, is delayed now, and, and that's unfortunate because you really needed the help. You needed the depth right now, and you needed a young guy to step up, and I, I thought Shane Bowers might have been that guy, and now we'll never know. Yeah, it's just so unfortunate. Like, I, I mean, I just feel for the guy. Jared Bednar said it best. He, you know, he was asked about Shane Bowers, and he literally just said it sucks. Like, the kid waited his whole life for this, and this is what happens. And, I mean, a lot of players wait a long time for their first game but Shane Bowers was just the one that like always was played second fiddle Samparanta would get a call up Alex Newhook would get a call up AHL guys like Kiefer Sherwood Stefan Mateau would get call up Dylan Sakura like anybody but Shane Bowers were getting opportunities for so many years he was also a piece of the Matt Duchesne trade coincidentally having his debut against Duchesne five years later he was a piece of the Matt Duchesne trade he was a first round draft pick in 2017 the only first round draft pick in 2017 that hadn't made his NHL debut up until yesterday every single and listen never like rarely if ever happens in the NHL every single first round draft pick from one single season has made their NHL debut he was the last one it was five years since the Duchesne trade I think it's been it was November of 2017, so we're like right around the five-year anniversary of the exact date the Avalanche traded for this guy. He's 23 years old. He waited so goddamn long, and that's the way it ends. He didn't even get a good look where you can sit there and be like, yeah, he was good until the injury. He had three shifts. He skated a minute, 46 seconds. Like, you can't assess that much ice time. So it's unfortunate for Bowers, but like Jared said, injuries happen. It's part of the game, and you know what, this is just the next chapter in the long laundry list of things that Shane Bowers has battled and has found a way to get through, and, and he's just going to have to do it again. I just worry a little bit because I drew the Kamenev comparison, right? And it feels like Kamenev never really was able to recover on the mental side of it. It seemed like he yeah. never, you know, physically, whatever, his his arm healed or what, I think it was his arm, right, that he broke on that day. Um, but he never got back into the game mentally and never really panned out with the avalanche. And I would hate to see that for Shane Bowers. Um, I think I'm probably overreacting a little bit. I think Shane Bowers probably has a little bit more in his tool belt, tool belt than Kamenev does, but still, yeah. I think you, you just worry about the mental side of a recovery like that. On your first game, it's hard to be like, oh man, I'm, I am ready for the NHL when that's what happens to you in your first period. Yeah, again, it's unfortunate, but this is a guy that has... Um He's battled a lot more than Kamenev has, and he probably does have a lot more in his tool belt. I mean, he's he's a he's a much better two-way player, so it's hard to compare the two, but I do get it. It is it's tough when you suffer setbacks like this. Sometimes there's setbacks that you cannot undo. Uh you're just hoping that Kamenev or not Kamenev, Shane Bowers is able to undo that. Speaking of setbacks, you kind of lightly brushed over it there, but Darren Helm placed on LTIR. What does that look like for the Avalanche? What does that really mean? I mean, obviously he's nowhere near being ready to go yeah it means he's nowhere near ready to go but it also means that the avalanche didn't want to skate one man short uh, which they ended up doing because bowers played two and a half shifts <laughs> yeah. but uh yeah they could have just kept him down and had literally the exact same game minus a minute 46 so i uh, it means that he's not ready to go anytime soon doesn't mean the season's over by any means but it means that the avalanche did want to clear up some cap space to bring him in uh by the way this is the thing about the nhl that really bothers me is no other sport in the big four, 
has to have journalists, reporters, anybody, bloggers, whatever, do podcasts where they got to talk so much about the salary cap because the NHL is the only league with a friggin' hard salary cap, and it's so stupid. Um, but this is the nature of the situation. Like Shane Bowers looked like he was favoring his arm, his shoulder, his wrist. Something was ailing him, and you just know. I mean, the human element is there. It's, I hope he's okay, but you just know Chris McFarland was sitting there going, fuck, how am I going to make the cap work now? Like it's part of what makes the NHL the NHL and what makes the NHL silly, in my opinion. But um, that's ultimately what it means for Darren Helm is is he's not ready to go soon. Um, we talked about that power play that got them kind of back on the right track in the first period. And I think a big part of it was Nathan McKinnon, right? We got saw that cross-ice pass that we're so used to seeing from McKinnon to Miko. I mean, just such an example of the, the amazing hockey IQ that Nathan McKinnon has, right? He just is aware of his teammates, even if they're on the other side of the ice. He sees the lane there and squeezes it through on, on a perfect threaded needle right to uh, Mikko Rantanen for a one-timer. But Nathan McKinnon, just I, I tweeted about it the last couple of days. We talked about it after the Finland games. He's reached another level, which is amazing to say from this guy because he's already one of the best players in the world. But he just isn't making mistakes right now. And not only that, he, he is just, I don't know, somehow playing amazingly. I mean, I don't even know how to explain it because it's hard It's, it's hard, hard to explain because explain, yeah. he already has these things, right? He already has the speed. He already yeah. has the hands. He already makes defensemen look silly all the time. But now he's doing it a little bit more, a little bit faster and a little bit harder. Yeah. He's He's been a top three point producer the last five NHL years. And I think I talked about this. Number one, McDavid. McDavid number two, Dreisaitl. Number three, Nathan McKinnon. Those are the top three point producers since 2017. Uh, he's been a top three point producer. He's been an excellent player. He's been a top NHLer. He's almost won a Hart Trophy a couple times. He uh, won a Stanley Cup. He had a lot of goals in the playoffs pretty much every single season. He is an NHL all-star. He's a superstar. He's one of the best of the game. But somehow he's find a way to reach another level. Like I tweeted it yesterday. I said, you know, I mean, I know you and I have been talking about it, but I tweeted it. I said, Nathan McKinnon is playing better than I've ever seen him play. And it's only a little bit of an exaggeration because there is some exaggeration there. You know, you, you never really remember how good he was in past years. But right now there is some recency bias. He looks like he's playing freaking amazing. And I asked Jared about it. When I asked Jared about it, I even like prefaced the question by saying, I know this is a hard question given who he is and who he's been the last five years, but do you feel like he's reached another level? And Jared straight up was like, yeah, that's hard to answer. Because, again, recency bias, he's going to look at that game and be like, yeah, this is the best he's ever played. And then tomorrow it's like, oh, my God, this is the best he's ever played. So it's hard to really gauge it, but I think there is something about his game, and the word is loose. Nathan McKinnon is playing loose. He's doing the same skillful things he's always done, but when he doesn't score— he goes and retrieves the puck and sets up another play rather than going to the bench and, you know, bashing his stick against the boards. Like, damn it, I miss. Like, he just seems a lot looser. And that's what happens when you win the Stanley Cup. So uh, Happy Nate might be the recipe for Nathan McKinnon becoming even better than what he already was. Uh, it was funny yesterday hearing Jared Bednar talk more about Nathan McKinnon and kind of say, yeah, he, he's great at passing. I, I like it when he shoots the puck, right? But... He shot the puck eight times. He got the shot on goal eight times yesterday. So it's not a lack of shots for him. He just He's just finding those passes and, and has the hockey IQ to see, okay, this teammate is way more in position for a goal than I am. And um, I, I agree with you. That looseness is definitely showing through. And I kind of want to credit 
Miko Rantanen for that concept, right? I think nobody plays more loose and more calmly than Miko Rantanen. You saw it on that breakaway goal when he popped out of the penalty box yesterday. He just calmly took the puck down and just lightly wrist-shotted it past the goalie with, you know, no stress on his mind. And, and he, he mentioned after the game how he just, that's, his, that's the way he plays. He tries not to overthink it. He just wants to be calm out there. And I think that rubs off on Nathan McKinnon a little bit, much like Gabe Landeskog rubs off on Nathan McKinnon on the leadership standpoint, on the leadership, on the maturity um, angle of life. I think Miko Rantanen helps him with kind of the uh, opposite side of it, right? The, the yin and the yang for Nathan McKinnon is Gabe Landeskog and Miko Rantanen. Honestly, he he really couldn't have a better pair of line mates, like and friends too, right? They're yeah, all, they're like all they're so close. They genuinely are close, like and and that's the beauty of it. Like when you have like we saw Johnny Goudreau last year play on a line with Elias Lindholm and Matthew Kachuk, and it elevated his game because he was playing with two really great guys that can provide something for him to keep him not just in check, but to keep him wanting more. And that's what you see from what these guys bring out of Nathan McKinnon. I mean, look at Jack Eichel. Jack Eichel in Buffalo was playing with a whole bunch of guys where he was selfish Jack and selfish Jack, and all he wanted to do was pad his stats, and the Sabres never make the playoffs. He gets traded to the Golden Knights. Last year was a wash, obviously, coming off that injury. But now he's playing on a line with Mark Stone and Chandler Stevenson. And Chandler Stevenson, the guy that I once used to call some guy named Chandler, is legitimately one of the best two-way forwards in the NHL now. And that doesn't even take into account that the guy on the other wing, Mark Stone, is probably the best two-way forward in the NHL. So now he's got these two guys that are kind of keeping him in check, bringing him back uh, kind of down to earth a little bit, making him a team player. That's what you're seeing out of these guys with Nathan McKinnon. Not that Nathan McKinnon doesn't want more on his own. There isn't a guy that you can meet in this damn sport that wants more than Nathan McKinnon and, and pushes himself harder than this guy. But what he's got in Gabe Landeskog and Miko Rantanen is the perfect balance to bring him kind of to reel him in a little bit and make him play to the best of his abilities. Yeah, and Nathan McKinnon wants nothing more than teammates he can trust, right? Teammates he thinks are on the same level as him um, as far as competitiveness and just the mental side of the game. And that's what you have in Miko Rantanen, guys that are, are willing to battle and willing to uh, give everything it takes to get those victories and, and, and provide the points when the team needs them most. And, and Landeskog will be an amazing piece to that line once he's ready, and uh, I'm excited for it. But, yeah, I think that that three-headed monster is just really proving to continue to grow, and we still haven't seen the ceiling for these guys, just the way they push each other and the way they all continue to develop their game, it seems. Yeah, and, and the beauty is, you know, after the way Jared Bednar, you know, had that, playing chess while everybody else was playing checkers from what February on out where he started to mix up the line combinations and try all these different things well now the beauty of that is when Gabe Landeskog does come back like I don't even know if they're going to play together at, at even strength most of the time they will at times but you got Lekkinen up there and then you're going to have Landeskog and Nachushkin probably running running the muck on the second line so it's just they just they're they're so great. They don't have to play together to, to 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 do what they do. And they obviously will be together on the top power play unit, which is the best power play in the NHL without Landis Gog. So with him it's just gonna get better. But I just I can't say enough about those three guys all being locked up to long term deals. I know Rantanens is kind of coming up here in the next three years, I wanna say, after this season, which is still pretty bit pretty a good bit of time. I think he's got two more years after this year to be exact, but uh, I, I can't say enough about these guys. Like the Avalanche really struck gold with this combination. 
Yeah, and even if uh, they do get split up, you know, at the first chance available, Jared Bednar will put them back together and play them 25 minutes in a night because he loves the example that they set yeah. for the rest of the team more so than than just keeping them together. Um, speaking of examples, I think we got to get into Logan O'Connor, right? The second, what a guy. The second period wave of goals from the Avalanche really sparked by Logan O'Connor. Two, the first two were from him in that second period. And um, just classic Logan O'Connor goals, I feel like. Uh, just that hard work and even got one on a breakaway because of his speed. Um, yeah, so Logan O'Connor, a, a pivotal piece and a key cog to uh, what the Avalanche were able to do last night. Yeah, I mean, look, he was one of the guys we were calling out about a week and a half ago, and 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 not that he listens to the podcast. I mean, he probably does, but it, like he responded. The guy came out strong. Five goals, one assist, six points in twelve games. Suddenly, three straight games with a goal. He scored in the first Columbus game, the second Columbus game, and then he gets two in eighty-five seconds yesterday. He's just been everything you want from a depth player, and he has been for a couple years now. I mean. Last year, before last season, he had only played 43 NHL games. And the Avalanche went out last summer during training camp, gave him a three-year extension at $1.05 million per year. And then he starts last season offensively strong the way he is now. If you remember in October, November last year, it was the same thing. It was Logan O'Connor putting up a whole bunch of points. And then obviously it kind of slowed down as the season went on from the point production standpoint. But... It ended up being a steal of a contract. Last season, he plays 81 games. This year, he's already played all 12. And suddenly, you have a guy who's going to play third-line, fourth-line minutes making $1.05 million playing the game he does and kind of always comes back playing with the urgency where he wants to get better each and every night. And and that's great for a guy who's got a long-term deal. You know, long-term for a depth guy. Three years is, is long-term, but... I. Uh, it's just it's great to see like just how hard a worker he is. It's it's why he was part of that line with Darren Helm and Andrew Cogliano last year that made you know the Avalanche so successful. Uh, but already he's already got five goals and that's awesome. He only had eight all of last year and he's proving to be the perfect depth player for this team. I mean, a few weeks ago, you and I were sitting here saying, where is the depth on this team? This team has no depth. What's going to happen? And we're expecting JT Confer and Alex Newhook to step up their game. Well, we're still waiting for that from those two. But we, what we have seen is Logan O'Connor elevate his game and Evan Rodriguez both tied with five goals. So at least somebody said, look, we got to do more here down, down in this bottom six. And uh, somebody's stepping up while the other guys kind of still wait for their arrival. But th- that's what you need. You need somebody to, to make the plays and not just let the, the top line and, and rely on the power play all night. So Logan O'Connor coming through in a big way lately, and, and let's see how consistent he can keep it. Because like you said, he did start the year like this last year. Um, let's see how long he can he can keep it going and really be an impact. I mean, if he continues to grow and continues to earn himself more playing time and continues to produce, then uh, you know the sky's the limit for this guy. Maybe he can even be the the guy that jumps into uh, the 2C at points and, and really earn that role. He's done it in the past, right? I remember yeah. when he was buzzing last year, uh, Jared Bednar threw him, up, threw him up in the top six. So we'll see where that goes. Yeah, I think he was playing with uh, Miko Rantanen when Nathan McKinnon got injured because Miko went to center. I don't remember exactly how it worked, but I do know that guys like him making $1.05 million for another season after this year are part of what make it easier to, number one, trade someone like Tyson Jones for Nico Sturm. Number two, not even re-sign Nico Sturm. Number three, JT Confer's a UFA this summer. And, you know, unless he's willing to play for a million and a half, like he's probably not going to be back either. So um, having depth guys like that, that you know you're playing on the fourth line when everybody's healthy, obviously. You're playing on the fourth line knowing very well that he could be a little bit more than just the fourth liner is, is great to have, especially at that dollar amount. 
which by the way, just to correct myself, I, if everybody's healthy right now, Logan O'Connor's on the third line still because Ben Myers hasn't turned out to be what we thought. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I guess here's a good place to pause for Superbook Sports, guys. I mean, everything's in full swing. We got the World Cup nine days away. There's going to be so much that you can bet on, and I feel like so many easy games that you can win some money on. So Superbook Superbook is bringing Vegas-style wagering to the palm of your hands, and now they'll match 100% of your first bet up to $1,000, a free $1,000 to just play and uh, win some money off of. Sounds fantastic to me. No matter if that bet wins or loses, they will still match. So, um, again, a win-win. So you don't have to be at the stadium to enjoy any of the sports this fall. Visit Superbook.com or download the Superbook Colorado app right now and start getting in on all the action. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700 and on that note you know we saw how good Nathan McKinnon had been playing lately we saw how buzzing he was uh even in morning skate yesterday so you look at the props that were in place for Nathan McKinnon aside from scoring a goal he hit every single one he hit his over on shots he gets his over on assists he gets his over on power play points so I think that's something to keep an eye on if you're opening Superbook Sports and getting a brand new account right now bet on Nathan McKinnon because of the way he's playing yeah his over under on shots yesterday were four and a half and he had six in the first period yeah <laughs> so that that was an easy one and I, I I know that we talked about that one before the game that was about as easy a, a, a play as you can make so let's get we we discussed how Jared Bednar was a little bit disappointed uh, at the end of the game there and I think it's just the way that Nashville was able to get back into the game I mean it was towards the end of the second period and they really had a, a decently late push there in the third um I don't know I I I have a hard time feeling too disappointed at the at the quote-unquote comeback there because the third goal especially seemed like a goalie interference that just got uh, pushed aside, right? I saw that bomb from Yossi go over Georgiev's shoulder, and Georgiev was just kind of off-centered. Like, his shoulders weren't where they're supposed yeah. to be. So I start watching that. I'm like, something happened there. That that wasn't the position he was supposed to be in. So I watched the replay. I watched the replay. I watched the replay. I see him throw his hands up. I see Jared Bednar looking down um, at his, uh, you know, little iPads that are in the ground or whatever, TVs. Um, but no challenge. Uh, so it was an interesting no challenge because I think a lot of people – on the Av side, Georgiev Bednar thought that there was some goalie interference, but maybe a little bit too risky of a time to really challenge it. So in my mind, it, it, it wasn't as big of a collapse as maybe Jared Bednar was feeling it was. But uh, of course, the, it's the details of the game that he wants to clean up. And I'm sure he saw a lot more details get missed than I did. Yeah, I mean, look, this is a Nashville team that is not having a good start to the season. I mean, they're they're one of quite a few playoff teams from last year that are just starting pretty damn slow. For the Preds right now, they are 26 in the NHL. They're 5-8-1. and one. They're 3-6-1 and one in their last 10. And they're 3-5 and five on the road. So for Jared, you know, as much as it is about winning the game, it's also, like you said, it's about the habits. It's about the details. And it's about knowing that, you know, similar to Columbus, when you and I talked about how going into Finland, anything, anything less than two victories and four points would be a failure. I think for Jared, it's the same thing with Nashville. It's 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 not winning or losing that's going to determine success against a team like that that's having a sl a slow you know a slow start to the year and might even end up firing their coach. It's about playing this team well because you should because you are the better team. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I still think the schedule ahead has some pretty big obstacles. And Jared Bender, that's his thought, right? We can't be playing like this against the big teams. And I know Peter Baugh wanted to poo-poo my idea of a, a challenging schedule ahead, but I see Carolina twice. I see division-leading Dallas twice. I even see Boston twice. So I think you've got to you know make sure that you're playing at the top of your game when you have these, these guys coming into town and you're going to visit them because – it, th- these are big games. These are pivotal points, and um, you don't want to let them slip, and, and you want to be playing the right way at the right time. So you got to work out everything now. Again, ironing out the kinks now um, to really get full momentum and really start buzzing when this schedule starts to kick in and every other night pace. Yeah, of course, and, and this is the perfect time for that. I mean, look, when you, when you play Nashville that way, you're going to have to clean up quite a few things because guess who's in town tomorrow? It's, it's the Carolina Hurricanes, so it's going to be a far different game uh, than it was playing the Preds, and then you're back at home on Monday as well. The, obviously, yesterday was the first of three. It's the St. Louis Blues, who's another team that's just not had a great start to the year. In fact, they're one of the worst in the NHL, really bad. Um, and, and, and you gotta, you gotta keep the foot on the pedal and kind of hit, like, just, just knock him out right away because you know, you should, and you know, you can. And again, this team's got a higher standard than they've ever had. They're coming off of a Stanley cup victory. Yes. They lost a lot of depth. Yes. They have a lot of other guys injured, but they still have a ton of superstars. Devon Taves and Kel McCarr. We've seen how great they've been the last three games. Uh, Devon Taves obviously taking that shot from the point, which by the way, that was such a nice shot. Like on the the first Logan O'Connor goal, the tip in, he gets the puck at the blue line and he starts to skate up the blue line and then he just stops and puts it on net. Like he he sent the defenseman pretty much going the other way. So or the forward that was forechecking him. So uh, Devon Taves and Kel McCarr, you still got Nathan McKinnon, you still got uh, Miko Rantanen, Arturi Lekkinen's there. So there's quite a few guys on that roster. And, you know, hell, Alexander Georgiev. It's, it's time to start calling him a star. He's been fucking awesome. So uh, there's a lot of guys on this team that there's no excuse for them not to play well. And, you know, pretty much we saw every single one of them play well yesterday. So there is a higher standard for this team. And it's why it's why victories like yesterday are good, but still could be better. That Devon Taves play that you're that you're referencing there, I mean, does, didn't that look a lot like Kale McCarr? Yeah, just the I was way just gonna say that the way those two dance the blue line, and obviously, I think maybe Devon Taves picking up some uh, pointers and some moves from Kale McCarr, but the way he pushes and pulls and just jukes out the defenseman um, right there at the blue line and finds a lane, gets a shot off, or even just puts it wide of the net into a safe spot for his team to go dig it out. I mean, yeah, th- those two are just so brilliant together and, and just so amazing to watch. I'd love to see uh, more more production out of them, right? I, I don't think we're quite at the level that we're expecting of them. I think they've been fine, but as far as goals, assists, I think they have another level to reach Kale McCarr and Devon Taves. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, look, they both elevate each other's games. We've talked a lot in the in the past, and, and you know, it's still something that will continue about how good having – about how great it is to have Devon Taves if you're Kale McCarr and how good Devon Taves makes Kale McCarr, but it goes both ways. I mean, Devon Taves was a great defenseman on the island with the with the New York Islanders, and he was a top-four guy, but he wasn't playing with a Kale McCarr. Like, if he went back to the Islanders right now and played with the same players, they're going to look at him and be like, who the hell are you and how did you get this good? Well, obviously, it's playing with Kale. So those guys just rub off on each other so well. And like you said, that play, I mean, I was nodding my head before you even said Kale McCarr's name. It was such a Kale McCarr type of play for him to do that. And it's something he learned from his D partner. Um, looking at the Carolina match that we just discussed, 
Carolina coming into town, obviously a good team. They made a lot of moves during the offseason. Do you think that uh, they got better or, um, you know, they added Brent Burns, they added Paul Snasty, among a couple other names, but those aren't exactly the speediest guys. Do you think that this team has what it takes to better compare against the Avalanche than they have in seasons past? I mean, I think so. It's hard to say if, you know, they can compare with the Avalanche. It's, it's you know, stylistic play. They play a very... Uh, skilled, high-speed game, and so did the Avalanche. So it's about winning the track meet, winning the races, and the Avalanche have been the last few years. But um, this is a good team, and they're only getting better. I mean, if you remember last year what Eric Johnson said after the Avalanche lost Don Skoy and Saad and all that, he said, you know, people were always talking about us losing all these guys and not making additions, but they didn't take into account that the guys in this locker room can get better. And Carolina Hurricanes, same thing. Yeah, they added Paul Stastny, and he hasn't really done much. I believe Paul Stastny's got four assists in 13 games. Um, And I also know that they added Brent Burns, who, you know, he's been putting up some points. He's got 10 points in 13 games, or in 14 games, sorry, but he's not really been great defensively. But the guys in that locker room have gotten better. Andrei Sveshnikov had a hat trick yesterday. He's got 11 goals and 17 points in 14 games. Martin Natchez has 19 points in 14 games. He's leading the team. And then you got Sebastian Ajo with 17 points in 14 games. You got Brent Burns with 10. Brady Shea, who's a defenseman, with 7. Tivo Teravainen with 7. Jordan Martinook, another defenseman, with 6 and 14. So they're just playing well up and down the lineup. And then Freddie Anderson, you know, he's had... uh, That's kind of the part where they've kind of slowed down is their goaltending haven't made the saves like they were last year. Freddie Anderson's got an 891 and Antirenta's got a 915. But this is a team that within their locker room have a ton of guys that have gotten better and have built off of the previous years because they're so young and so skilled that, you know, even though they didn't make the big additions, which the biggest one, by the way, with, was Pacioretty, who's going to be out for quite a while. Um, they're still going to be a good team, a tough challenge, and, and they're 9-4-1 for a reason. They always play the Avalanche real strong. Um, it always seems like if it's a low-scoring game, Carolina's usually in control and, and taking the victory. If it's a high-scoring game, the Avalanche kind of walk away with it. So we'll see which version um, of game we see. But yeah, I'm not sure Carolina has the speed. They have the structure to keep the uh, avalanche at bay, but I don't know if they have the speed. So, you know, it it might be a breakaway here or a a power play there um, that really makes the difference. But yeah, I'm looking forward to this one because I I love the measuring stick games, right? Let's compare ourselves to one of the better teams in the East, somebody we don't get to see that often, somebody we're expecting to have a a really good season. I mean, they're second in their division behind only the juggernaut that is the, the New Jersey Devils right now um so yeah I I love to just see where you're comparing against other teams that uh, are at the top of the league yeah exactly and and uh for the Carolina Hurricanes it's the exact same thing it's a measuring stick against the defending cup champs who are 3-0 in their last three games and have a great goalie so I I'm really excited for that one Saturday night at Ball Arena come on there's there's nothing better and you can't help but think Carolina just thinks, man, if our goalie didn't get hurt last year in the playoffs, we would have made a much deeper run than we did. So, you know, they're out yeah. for revenge. They're out to prove a point. And where did he get hurt? Here. I yeah. remember that so one vividly. Maybe let's sit Freddie Anderson tomorrow. Or maybe it's too early in the season where it's like, you know what, even if he's out four months, he'll be back. I'm, I'm just kidding, obviously. But, yeah, that was just so unfortunate for the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, they had that weird playoffs where they won the first round in a seven game series where the home team won every game against the Bruins and then against the Rangers in the second round, the home team won every game until game seven. And then they lost. So uh, just a very weird year for them in the playoffs last year, but you know what, man, this is going to be a good team. It's going to be a fun game. And, and uh, 
like I said, Saturday night, Ball Arena, two of the best teams in the NHL. It's gonna be it's gonna be great. Hockey night in Colorado. Hockey night in Colorado. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um yeah, I mean, we discussed how there wasn't much elation in the locker room, not much uh, excitement from Jared Bednar after the victory, despite it being, you know, I, what I thought was a pretty solid win. But what we did notice, and uh, I'm sure everybody saw me tweet this, because it's going a little bit crazy. It's still get still getting likes and retweets. But the Avalanche win song, Akon featuring Eminem, smack that. That all was on so the floor, funny. smacked that. What that was random. That as was hell. so funny. And walking in there, and Evan Rodriguez is bumping like he was. I'm like, what year is this? <laughs> but you know what? It is a good song. It's a catchy song, and it sounds like they've uh, not just redone the locker room, but the sound system in there has gotten a nice upgrade. It sounded good. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I, ever since Tyson Berry left the team, those wind songs have just been dropping in quality, slower and slower through. Out the years, so I don't know who picked it or the why. Intangibles, it might have to be. the intangibles of Tyson Berry. You got them. You got to love them. <laughs> it might have to be something we dig into as to why and who picked that song. I feel like it, it had to have been a summer story, right? Like so, they were out at, with the cup. Maybe that was the song that was playing when Dermy fell backwards. <laughs> who knows? But I feel yeah, like it has to be an inside at Dir- joke at type Dirk's thing. At Bentley's freaking bar that they were playing Akon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Um, yeah, other than that, I think uh, we just got to acknowledge the touching ceremony that they had and for Peter McNabb before the game. I mean, really well done. I really enjoyed how they kept it kind of um, on a happy note. Right? Yeah. It wasn't yeah. necessarily let's be sad and let's mourn. Let's, let's be appreciative and thank Peter and applaud and just – Send him off the right yeah. way, the way he would want it, right? Yeah. He, he wouldn't want us all being sad and getting upset over this. He'd want him. It was, want us to celebrate him. It was so perfect because they played the video that Altitude had posted on uh, Twitter a couple of days ago with Kyle Keefe kind of narrating through this thing. And it was a little bit of a tearjerker. And then everybody stood and the rink announcer, it wasn't Alan Roach, whoever it was, the backup guy that's usually here, he, he said – Rather than having a moment of silence, let's all applaud and celebrate the life of Peter McNabb. And that was so great. Uh, The players at the end of the game, when they were saluting to the crowd, they turned to the press box and saluted to where Peter McNabb usually would be sitting. Uh, Somebody also told me, and I obviously, you and I weren't watching Altitude, but you know how during the pregame, if you've ever watched the Altitude pregame, sometimes it's 30 minutes, sometimes it's an hour. They go to like these different segments and there are segments of strictly Peter McNabb by himself sitting and talking and breaking down the game. Somebody tweeted me and said that for every moment where Peter McNabb would be talk- talking, they they had a moment of silence on Altitude. So they didn't fill it with somebody else. They just kind of kept that blank for him. So that was really cool as well. Um, and then I loved, I think it was the second intermission. They had a blooper reel of him going. Did you Did you catch that? I didn't. I, yeah, so they had a blooper reel of him going, and it was like the behind-the-scenes blooper reels where he's sitting with Lauren Jabara or Lauren Gardner or uh, I forget who else, Mark Mosier, and he's just sitting there like Lauren Jabara is sitting there dancing, and he's just like straight-facing the camera like, what the hell am I doing here? He sat down and almost sat on a hot curling iron, picked it up and looked at Lauren and was like, are you kidding me? A hot curling iron, him and Mosier setting up and uh, spilling coffee on accident. They're just laughing about it. There was one where... His microphone wasn't working. His headpiece, his his headset, his earpiece wasn't working. So the guy kept coming behind him to try to fix it. And at one point there was, I mean, they bleeped it out, but he was like, this is the last beeping time. I swear to God, we'll make it work. Like he was just, it was just so cool to see that behind the scenes side of Peter McNabb. 
um and and we're gonna miss him it was it was such a great uh ceremony for him they had the hockey fights cancer on all of our seats i fight for peter McNabb with a flower they had his picture in the uh, lobby as soon as you get off the elevator um like i said it's already sunk in because i didn't get to see him during the second intermission or first intermission over by the snack bar where we usually are, are able to see him when he's grabbing a cup of coffee or something uh but it's really gonna sink in the first road game i watch when he's not there so uh, that was well done, very well done, and and uh, I loved the the applause. That was so cool. And I I got to give credit to the Predators guys, right? The the starters that were on the blue line. Mm-hmm. Instead, they got off the blue line, turned around, watched the video. Um, I think it was even Matt Duchesne got made sure he got an extra good view of it. Um, and just again, the, my, what I said the other day, the testament of how much of an impact he had around the NHL, not just here in Colorado. Everybody yeah. wanted to pay their respects and. and um, do it the right way for him. Yeah, so I, I think everybody I, did. I said it on Tuesday when we were talking to Peter Baugh, like every podcast I've listened to has mentioned this guy, whether it was Spit and Chicklets, whether it was Jeff Merrick, whether it was uh, Pierre Lebrun and uh, Ryan Rashog. And then this morning, TSN, Darren Dreger and uh, Ray Ferraro. And they were talking about him too. Like he really did have an impact on everybody. I know I saw Kevin Weeks tweet out quite a few things about him as well. So he really did. Uh, he impacted a lot of people and, and, uh, it was just it's just been great to see just kind of how appreciative people have been of of, of him. Um and then to go back to the Matt Duchesne thing, his his pregame interview where he was talking about Peter McNabb, like it's always hard to remember. I know there was a weird ending with Matt Duchesne there and he kind of, you know, worked his way out of town, but you know, that's the business side of thing. The real life side of thing is are Matt Duchesne was here from two thousand nine until two thousand and seventeen. Someone like Ryan O'Reilly was here from 2009 until 2015. These people build relationships here that you forget will follow them everywhere. So Peter McNabb meant a lot to Matt Duchesne. A lot of those guys in the Avalanche organization, all these years later, when Duchesne walks into that arena, he says hi to people that he he used to see every single day. You never lose that relationship, that connection, that that bond. And uh, it was very, very much apparent with Matt Duchesne when he was talking about Peter and he, when he was talking about what he meant to him and how, you know, at the practice rink, Peter used to come sit by him in his stall and talk hockey with him. And he would be like, Peter, I got to get on the ice. I got to go. And then when I get off the ice, he's still there and still wants to talk hockey. Like he talked about how he leaned on Peter so much when he was an 18 year old rookie and how Peter wanted to help. And it's just you don't realize how much those things mean to people to have someone like that. Like he genuinely was someone that everybody relied on, even the hockey players, because he was also a former NHLer and just had so much wisdom and and, and knowledge to give. And so much passion, right? I mean, you and I and Peter and all the DMVR crew, we go into that locker room and like, all right, we got to get interviews. We pull out our phones. We stick them in front of faces. We try to get video content. McNabb didn't have to do that. McNabb went to the locker room to make relationships with these players because he wanted to, because he loved it, because he wanted to impart his wisdom and pick these guys' brain. He didn't need to be in that locker room. He didn't. He wasn't in there with a camera. He wasn't in there with a recorder. He was just in there to chat. And um, I, I always respected the hell out of that. And um, yeah, just uh, I, I guess we can't say anything else that hasn't been said. We just uh, I like the way that the the ball arena put that together and the send off and um, you know. I, I, don't take this the wrong way. I'm excited that we can move past it and, and put it behind us and just move forward with the season because I, I don't know. I don't like thinking about the sad things uh, that come with life. I like thinking about the good ones. And um, 
I'm sure Peter would like it like that. So hockey it is from here on out. We got a, a big game in the Mile High tomorrow night, Saturday, and then St. Louis Monday. Of course, we'll be here with yeah. you Sunday to record a big podcast. And and it's kind of crazy that you know Peter McNabb passes. The Avalanche have three games at home. Matt Duchesne was here for the first one. Got to witness all of that. Well, Paul Stastny is going to be here tomorrow, and Ryan O'Reilly will be here two nights later. So it just it all, you know, a lot of those guys are going to be are going to be hugging it out and and talking to people here. Paul Stastny and Ryan O'Reilly, as soon as they get here about Peter, um, you know that's going to be part of it. And it's it's you know it's it's like you said, it's it's hard to talk about these things, but it's 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 part of it. Speaking of Matt Duchesne, by the way, to go to his interview, try to kind of move past that a little bit. I uh, he was talking about how. When the Avalanche were in Finland and Miko ran and scored his hat trick, he texted Miko and kind of like to congratulate him and talk to him a little bit. And isn't it crazy? Again, like you forget what these relationships mean. Matt Duchesne and Miko Rantanen were teammates. And I always forget that because it was such a small period of time. It was the uh, 2016-17 season where Miko was the only 20-goal scorer on the team and Matt Duchesne led the team or, or didn't lead the team in points, but he was on the team still. It was in 2015-16 when Patrick Waugh played him for played Miko for nine games before sending him down to the AHL. And then it was for the first seven or eight or whatever games it was that Duchesne played with the Avs in 18-19 in or 17-18 before getting traded. So they were only teammates for such a short amount of time. But again, they're still friends. Like They still have that relationship. And you often forget how much of like... You better believe, like, just think of any random trade deadline acquisition. I don't know, Nemesnikov, Derek Brassard, guys like that. Like, those guys probably have the cell phone numbers of Landeskog and McKinnon, all these guys, and text regularly. Like, such a small period of time, they still build these bonds. And when I heard Duchesne mention, yeah, I texted Miko and Finland, I was like, yeah, they were teammates. Even though Miko wasn't the Miko he is now when they were teammates, he wasn't the superstar. But yeah, they were teammates. It's just always cool to see those relationships. He was still the life-loving, laid-back Miko Rantanen that everybody knows and loves. So it's no surprise that Matt Duchesne is like, this is the guy I want to keep in touch with because I I love just being around him. I don't think he's texting Eric Johnson, but he's texting. I I doubt him and Nathan McKinnon are are being too buddy-to-buddy. Like, hey, nice goal the other day. Um, But I can see it with Miko Rantanen for sure. Yeah, 100%. Um, right on. Well, that's everything for today. As I said, we'll be back Sunday to do our typical long Sunday night podcast for you guys. I love those podcasts. I love the energy, the vibe that they're picking up um, as we move down the line of the season here. Definitely a little bit different than we're used to, but um, I hope everybody likes them too. Let us know. I know they're they're all coming with a different feel. We've got some intro music on all our podcasts again, like we used to. Um, so yeah, we like to hear from you guys. So hit us up. Arif, closing thoughts for today before we get out of here till Sunday. That's it from me. I think we've we've broken down just about everything we can for what's usually a short post game podcast. So, uh, again, pumped about Saturday's game, even more pumped about Monday's game against the Blues, because uh, it'll be fun to see Jordan Bennington get booed out of the building and probably pulled in the second period for letting in five goals or something. But you know, we'll get to that one on on Sunday. Man, I bet you Georgiev would just absolutely pummel just, just Jordan Bennett. <laughs> just like literally. Georgiev is such a no-nonsense laid-back dude that if Bennington even tries that stick-swinging stuff, he's just going to look at him and be like, all right, dude, I'm going to fuck you up. Like, we're yeah, done. Exactly. We're not, we're not We're not. playing these games. I'm, do I look like Grubauer or any other goalie? In the, not not to, you know, Mac on Grubauer, but do I look like Grubauer or any other goalie in the NHL that's just going to laugh at you? No, I'm going to laugh at you and then punch you and then laugh again. Yep. Right on. Well, thanks for hanging out with us, everybody. We'll be back. And uh, as always, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless that pretty heart of yours. Let's make hockey for everyone. We got you.